Hi, and welcome to Deep Dive with Jamie Stein, where we take a deep dive look at all things reality TV, pop culture, and the world at large. I'm an intuitive and an empath, which means I pick up on the thoughts, feelings, and energy percolating in other people in the world around me. I believe there is meaning waiting to be found at every turn if you're willing to see it. So join me as we dismantle everything from trash TV to high spiritual concepts and learn more about ourselves, each other, and how we're all connected. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to this holiday edition of Deep Dive with Jamie Stein. Um, really excited for today for a number of reasons. Um, as everyone knows, I've been in a lot of transition, so the podcast has been a bit more irregular than it usually is. And I feel like it's been a minute since we've really had like a truly proper deep dive in the old school way that I typically do deep dives. And that is exactly what we're going to do today. So I'm very excited to jump back in. And I'm even more excited because we're going to be jumping into the current season of The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, which I think has just been such a kind of return to form for the housewives in general. I feel like Salt Lake City is a franchise that's in that sweet spot that I think tends to happen around the fourth season where it's got its legs. Um, there's an established ensemble dynamic where these women really have history together, but it's still fresh enough and young enough that it, it, it hasn't, uh, <laughs> hasn't hit that expiration date yet. I feel like it's, it's alive with a lot. So I'm really excited to get in this season and see what wants to be revealed. And I'm even more excited because I'm joined today by such a valued uh, veteran co-host of the podcast. Um, she has joined me and helped me with so many of these deep dives. I think actually uh, you've been my sole Real Housewives of Salt Lake City uh, co-pilot. And um, I know it's good for her that she has been making good on her impulse to maybe step back a little bit from these shows. So we haven't heard from her in a while. But when I do hear that she's maybe touching down on a show such as The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, I, I use that as my cue to rope her back in uh, to the podcast to get all her insight and wisdom. Please welcome back to the podcast, Piper Sample. Hi, Piper. Hi, Jamie. How are you today? I feel pretty, pretty spacious, relaxed. And even though it's holidays and feels like a lot's happening around me, it feels like I have, I like that word sweet spot you used. I feel like I'm in a good, good zone. All right, perfect. Well, it sounds like the perfect place then to take a running leap into the turbulent, chilly salty waters of uh, Salt Lake City. Mm -hmm. For the record, we are recording this episode on Wednesday, December 13th. And the episode that just aired was when they go out to dinner in the cave and uh, first Heather and um, Monica have their little argument about Monica feeling sex shamed uh, and Heather not wanting to answer her questions about when she last slept with someone. And then there's the big argument uh, with Meredith about whether or not she sent the DMs. And I'm just noting that because I know sometimes it takes me a few weeks to actually release these episodes. And um, I just want to clarify where this recording uh 
happened slash occurred in case there's any confusion about why we're not talking about more recent developments on the show. Mm-hmm. So yeah, having said that, you know, let's just sort of dive in. Um, you know, I guess just to provide a little peek behind the curtain uh, of the podcast, we were scheduled to record this a few nights ago, but life got in the way and we sort of started talking for a minute or two just about sort of what's here. And I know we identified that it felt like this conflict between Monica and Lisa felt like a really big through line for the season. Um you know, so I thought we could start there and then just see where it wants to go. Um, it's interesting because I do, I noticed like as I was approaching this, there was a part of me that almost wants to just ignore Monica. I think because I experience her as wanting so much attention and I feel like so much of what she does on the show is about getting attention. And there's this part of me that almost wants to say, I don't want to give you any attention. I don't want to give you what you're looking for, but she has been such a huge part of the season. So I feel like there's really no way to talk about the season uh, without getting into Monica. And then, like I said, I mean, there's just been this really core conflict between her and Lisa, where it feels like they've both been very triggered at times, very heated and very charged. So yeah, it just kind of felt like to even approach the season, we probably have to start there and then we can just kind of see where this wants to go from that point. Yeah. And maybe we really focus on what Monica catalyzes maybe in the spirit of not wanting to sort of give attention where attention is being solicited unconsciously or, or consciously, I'm not sure, but um, you know, cause she's, she's certainly catalyzing a lot being a fresh face there. And in lieu of, not having someone like um, Jen Shaw there. Um, She brings a particular energy that is very, in some way, activating, and especially, clearly, for Lisa. Yeah, well, you had made a comment just when we talked for a few minutes uh, two nights ago where you had said something that I thought was really interesting, and I actually kind of wanted to follow up on it and find out more, where you said, basically, you find yourself not generally interested in Monica almost like, I mean, these are my words, uh, kind of as a human being or as a cast member, but you are interested in what she catalyzes in the group. And so I guess I just wanted to start off by asking you more about that. Like, what is it in you that's not interested in her kind of as a standalone individual? And then, yeah, can you speak to just from the outset, what you see big picture in terms of what she does catalyze in the group and what interests you about that? Yeah. So I think what doesn't interest me is a perception that I have that she's not really interested in evolving, you know, that she has her, her kind of set way of being in relationship that feels like it's meant to I want to rile you up over there. And then I get to go, what are you doing? I'm a victim over here. I, there's some way that I feel kind of this core relational way she is that we're discovering probably, you know, really 
has a lot to do with her upbringing and being in relation with her mom. But it's like, how do I say it? It's it's almost like she throws something in specifically to like make something really chaotic and dusty and step back. And that's what she likes. It's not like she's trying to get to the heart of anything. She's only connected to the disharmony that she creates or something. I don't know if that's actually true, but it's the way it feels to me. And it feels young and it feels um, also in a way she's not super interested in how she impacts other people, but more how they impact her. I, I get a little tuned out when people are only driving their own, you know, their own train and not mm-hmm. paying attention to the, you know, <laughs> the carnage. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I did go back in preparation for this and rewatched several pivotal scenes of the show just to really track to the best of my ability what was going on in the conflict because especially with this franchise, things tend to move so fast and furious and then the fights get so convoluted that a lot of times I just have to really go back and like literally almost just keep pausing it and try to parse it out beat by beat to try to follow the logic of what's going on. And so it was interesting because I went back in terms of this conflict between Monica and Lisa, I went back to what I kind of felt was the catalyzing scene, you know, to use your language where they're in the sprinter van in Palm Springs and Monica basically confronts Lisa with her perception of Lisa being materialistic and out of touch. And that's kind of their first explicit heated conflict. Right. And it was really interesting to watch Monica. And then once I kind of identified this in this fight, I sort of saw how this happened in every single fight where to your point, there's well, there's a couple things. I mean, one, I'll just say there's never really a through line with her. If you really actually follow her logic, she just kind of, it, it reminds me of Keanu Reeves in The Matrix dodging the bullets. It's kind of like she sort of lights a match, starts the fire. And then when people start responding to her, she's just kind of bobbing and weaving to dodge the bullets. And then she kind of throws up whatever argument she can just to sort of bounce the bullets back at them. But like she, a lot of times in fights, she doesn't even stay consistent in what she's actually arguing about. But, you know, to this point with Lisa, it's like she sits down. And what was so interesting to me about that is the way she starts that fight. I'm actually more or less okay with, I mean, she starts it out. Basically she's gotten triggered by Lisa losing her ring and talking about losing her ring and, you know, having had a $60,000 ring to lose in the first place. Um, I guess I'll just pause here and say, you know, people's perception of this fight, I guess in a lot of ways depends on your perception of Lisa's relationship to the ring. I've talked about this before on the podcast. I actually didn't really have a problem with the way that she was behaving around it. I felt like an engagement ring is a pretty serious thing to lose. It's got huge sentimental value. It's irreplaceable. And then, yeah, if it's $60,000, I mean, that's a it's a big deal to lose something of such huge sentimental value and monetary value. And I kind of feel like I'd probably be having the same reaction as Lisa, which is, oh, my God, I lost this ring. It cost $60,000. Uh, my personal experience of it, I, I didn't really experience Lisa going overboard with it. I saw her mention it a few times. I don't know. To me, it did not feel excessive. I got where she was coming from. I actually thought she was pretty 
calm, actually, considering um, what a huge item that is to lose. So anyways, that's sort of just where I'm coming from. But anyway, so Monica sits down and it was interesting because what she starts to say in the scene is basically, I mean, she says it. She's like, it's hard for me, like basically given where I'm at in life with my own divorce, with my own financial situation, it's hard for me to hear you talk about losing this ring, which I actually want to say if she had just stopped there. I kind of would have been okay with that. It's like, oh, she's she's taking responsibility for her experience. Like Lisa losing this ring is taking Monica somewhere inside of herself. And she's saying, this is hard for me. And if she had just stopped there and sort of let the conversation stand there as a way to get into deeper, more honest relationship with Lisa, like there's nothing wrong with that, right? But the first thing I notice is, but where she goes with it, and I see her do this over and over. I mean, she just did this in last night's episode with her experience, I guess, of feeling, quote unquote, slut shamed or sex shamed by Heather because she brought up Heather's daughter's sex life and Heather wasn't OK with that. But what I notice is like Monica will have kind of an emotional response to something. And then rather than being able to just stay with it as her emotional response and then deal with that in a direct self-responsible way, she immediately makes this leap where she makes the other person responsible for her emotional response. So she's sitting there with Lisa saying, hey, look, it's hard for me to hear you talk about this ring because of what's going on in my life. Now let me jump to a conclusion that you're materialistic, you're out of touch with America. And I think she says something like, I tried to tell you, you have so much to be grateful for. And she was basically agitated that like Lisa wasn't having the response, I guess, that she wanted Lisa to have. And so it's like she takes her emotional response. And then, like I said, she kind of like projects it onto the other person and makes them responsible for her response and what they're doing wrong. And they need to hear something and they need to live life according to Monica. I mean, I don't really know what she wanted from Lisa in this case. And so then what I saw was, so Monica comes really hard and heavy towards Lisa because I don't think anyone... (laughs) really wants to be told, oh, you're materialistic, you're out of touch, you're this, you're that. I mean, like she came in hot and heavy, right? It was very accusatory, it was very finger pointing. So Lisa, I mean, and we'll get to Lisa, obviously, Lisa, you know, this triggered Lisa from the very beginning, right? But she starts to defend herself and basically says, I'm not going to apologize, you know, for who I am, right? Um, Which again, I think that's perfectly, it's perfectly reasonable for Lisa to have a response to what Monica is bringing in. And so what's so interesting, though, is so Lisa kind of has her initial defense, you know, which is, like I said, I'm not going to apologize for who I am. What's so interesting, when I slowed the scene down, Lisa then actually says to her, and I feel like this really should be named, Lisa says, I'm sorry for what you're going through. So she even acknowledges, like, I hear you saying you're going through something. And she starts to, like, reflect that back to Monica. And that's the moment moment where Monica literally starts to yell at her. Uh, she screams, you don't give a shit. Look at how you're acting right now. Meaning, I guess she's implying, I guess that Lisa's being defensive. But again, Lisa's just responding to the heat and the energy and the accusation that Monica is bringing to her. So this is what I'm saying where it's like, Monica's sort of bringing in an initial point in a very provocative, accusatory way. 
And then when someone simply defends herself, she uses that behavior against Lisa. And then the thing that was sort of amazing to me was she starts screaming at Lisa that she's shallow for having this response to her accusation. And that's sort of what leads her to then basically say in Portuguese, you're a rich ass, you're a piece of shit. And again, I'm just sort of looking at this whole thing and I'm like, Monica, you created this whole situation. (laughs) And now you're going in so hard and heavy on Lisa. Yeah, because she's simply responding to the energy that you're bringing her. So I don't know. I just wanted to name this all up top. Like, this is what I see as Monica's MO throughout the series where she has an emotional response. She makes the other person responsible for it. She comes in hot and heavy. And then when pers- someone responds to her behavior, she makes that the issue or the problem. I'm following you and I'm kind of staying with this character, Monica, who gets activated because Lisa is activated around losing something of value. You know, so her trigger initially, Monica's trigger is there's upset. Lisa's upset. And my feeling is it wasn't okay for Monica that Lisa is upset about losing something that has value to it. It's almost like if I'm Monica, I'm saying, you have no idea, bitch, what it's like to lose and to be in a position where loss actually means something. I'm kind of feeling the place where she can't even accept that Lisa is upset, not even from a financial perspective, but this has sentimental value as well. For me, that's kind of the initial hit for Monica. Mm-hmm. And you said, and then she doesn't get what she wants from Lisa initially, because what she goes after is something personal, makes her wrong for being upset about this loss. So it activates Lisa's defense. And you're like, you're saying, Monica is saying, I need you to hold something for me. And right there for me, when I hear it, I feel like Monica has these women and let's like, just keep it with Lisa because she's said in many interviews, something about this uh, comparison to her mother and Lisa. So I can't help but recognize that all right now, Lisa is not Lisa Barlow. Lisa is someone that can't attune to some tone deafness that Monica is experiencing. And she mm-hmm. is fighting for something there. You mm-hmm. have to hold this for me because it you never held this for me. But this is Lisa. It's not her mom. And so she has to dig out all these ways that Lisa is tone deaf or Lisa isn't in touch with what's happening in America. Like... What about what's happening right now with you, Monica? Like, what is it that would have satisfied you there? Yeah, I love this notion of Monica calling out Lisa for not being attuned. And, you know, part of what I hear you saying is in the very place where Monica's actually not really attuning to herself. (laughs) You know, it's like she's not attuning. She's not holding her own experience in the place where she wants someone else to hold her experience for her. And uh, yeah, I love that notion of bringing that back to Linda and sort of being raised in an environment where she didn't have a mother who was attuning to her experience. Um, 
I also think just in terms of framing the Lisa Monica conversation, this feels important. It feels really important to name that Monica was clearly triggered by Lisa even before she lost the ring. Cause I just keep flashing back. I don't know if you remember this, but that first lunch scene where Lisa, Angie and Monica were getting together, which, you know, I want to say suddenly it's just, I, I don't know if this will come back in. It's so interesting to me that kind of Monica's introduction to the show was literally a lunch with Lisa and Angie and just sort of taking in that they were also, I mean, I know she came more through Angie, but it seems like she had some kind of, um, you know, acquaintanceship to some very, 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 very minor degree with Lisa just through Jen. It's just so interesting to me that those are the two that she ends up in the most conflict with. I don't know. That just really leapt out at me. Like those are the two that she gets introduced to the show through. Those are the two that she has the most intense conflict with. But um, at that lunch, at some point, Lisa's talking about how John's a great cook and likes to make food for the family. And Monica makes some comment like, Oh, John likes to cook for you. And Lisa's like, Oh yeah, he loves to cook. He cooks for us. And I forget exactly what Monica said, but Monica said something like, oh, how fortunate you are, how lucky you are. I mean, it was a clear moment and the editors sort of built it in. So even before Lisa losing this ring, there was a clear energy from Monica sort of piggybacking on what you're like, what you were saying. Like, if I were to follow what it feels like to me, what I hear the voice saying, kind of like, yeah, you don't know how lucky you are. You don't know how much you fucking have. And, you know, if I keep following the energy of that voice, it's like, I'm the one who should be having that, not you. Like, just this sort of deep resentment, again, of like what she perceives Lisa as having. And so the voice I really hear underneath it is it's not fair. Like, I should be the one who has everything that you have. And the fact that you have it. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, maybe we can dial in even more to why Lisa, because, I mean, there are other women on the show who are also, you know, I I mean... I mean, this could be a whole other conversation about the state of the marriages of the other women in the show. Like, it it maybe does feel to me like of the women who are currently married, Lisa's marriage does feel the most kind of like stable and loving to me anyway. Um, But yeah, why is she honing in on Lisa as kind of the happily married privileged one? But for whatever reason, she is. And it clearly triggers her. Yeah. And I'm curious if it has something as far back as Jen Shaw, like she alluded to the fact that Jen spoke about all these women in negative ways. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious if it's possible that she had already an image of who Lisa was materialistic, or maybe she'd watch the show, you know, cause she mimics Lisa from time to time. Well, I guess this is sort of where things get tricky. So should I just, break the fourth wall (laughs) Uh, a little bit. One of the interesting parts of being a content creator who puts things out there (laughs) is you start to hear from people. And, um, you know, I did put a post out on Instagram way back when kind of saying, you know, I don't fully trust Monica. And then I also had a solo episode where I went into my deep distrust of Monica. So I'll just say I, I have heard from people who have known Monica in the past <laughs> very oh, intimately. Before the show? Oh, yeah, way before the show. Like people who have history with Monica. And I guess I'll just say at this point that, yes, what I have heard, <laughs> she definitely watched the show from the beginning. 
Uh, there was definitely a desire, a stated desire to be on the show. You know, what I actually heard was that, like, she said out loud, like, I'm going to be on that show one day, which is interesting to me, actually, just in terms of Monica being a powerful manifester. I mean, I think maybe we could get into that. But like, there's some force of will there and magic that she ended up, you know, manifesting this thing. Um, There is a school of thought that she, you know, really used this relationship with Jen to get her vision uh, into motion. Um, And what I also heard was she hated Lisa from the beginning, like as a viewer. But coming back to Lisa, like this question for me of why Lisa, because what I'm also aware of now, just to bring in the history of the show, is Lisa has a tendency to draw in people, at least in terms of the show, who use her as a huge activating projection screen. Because I'm not forgetting the way Heather projected onto her in those first few seasons. I'm not forgetting how Whitney projected onto her those first few seasons. And like with Monica, it was hugely activating for Lisa. So I'm just kind of sitting with this question of why is Monica zeroing in on Lisa And, you know, this pattern, it seems from Lisa's perspective of people on this show zeroing in on her and really kind of like, like I said, using her as a huge projection screen. And, you know, the the flash of what I got just when I brought in that question of like, why is she singling Lisa out? It's like, as Monica, I do feel this this quality in Lisa. It's interesting. Like when I compare, if I drop into Monica and I sort of hold Lisa up compared to, let's say, Meredith and Whitney, right? Both of, and Angie, all three of whom are married and, you know, seem reasonably like settled in life. Lisa, it's like my experience, my experience of Lisa as Monica. I'm not saying I necessarily agree with this as Jamie, but I'm interested in it. Uh, my experience of Lisa as Monica is kind of like, yeah, like it is the sense of like everything goes well for you. You breeze through all this. Like when I take in the Angies, the Merediths and the Whitney's, they feel to me more like human beings who have struggles and problems. Whereas Lisa as Monica, there's something about her that feels, um, yeah, like everything just comes to you. Uh, there is that sort of like, we've heard other people like Heather call Lisa dismissive. It's that quality of like, oh, you're dismissive. You get everything you want. You breeze through life. You don't have a care in the world. Yeah. You're just sort of going, going, going. It all sort of falls in your lap. And then you kind of like, and you like, again, as Monica and you think you're better than other people. And it sort of drives me crazy how sort of easily it comes to you. And as Monica, what I'm feeling now as I follow this is like, and I know you're a fake. It's interesting because I, as Jamie, don't think Lisa thinks of herself as perfect or not having any problems. But I feel how someone like Monica, aka Heather Whitney, experiences her that way. And then it's kind of like, you think you're above everyone. You think you're better than everyone. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I know there's actually stuff that you've got, you're not perfect like you think you are. And you need to know it. Mm-hmm. Now, the last thing I'll say, I know I'm saying a lot all at once. What I will say, I don't, I just, Jamie, don't think Lisa sees herself that way. What I am aware of, if I were to kind of like get curious about why then do people perceive Lisa in this way, what I, how I do experience Lisa is that she is someone who really, you know, I think Lisa would consider herself an adult. Like I think Lisa can be very, even though I do think she's sensitive and there's a way she feels things deeply, I also think she's really good at compartmentalizing. 
and actually I have more to say about this in terms of like her relationship to her emotions this season. But I think generally, especially like outside of the show, Lisa is someone who just keeps it moving. Yeah. Like shit happens. We keep it going. Let's move on. Where I think people like Monica, Heather and Whitney, I think they are so in a way committed to their wounds, (laughs) committed to their pain. They want something seen. They want something heard. They want the world to know they're going to write books about it like bad Mormon. Right. Whereas I think Lisa is like the diametric opposite. She is just like, you know what? Shit happens. I'm an adult. I got it together. I'm going to keep going, you know, and I think they're very much each other's shadow in that way. And I'm wondering if there's a way in which like Lisa is so, kind of willing and able just to keep barreling through life and then generating, 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 generating. And as I say that, it's almost like the voice I hear in the other side of it is like, you don't get to just move on. Like you got to deal with this shit. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, there's something in them that's sort of outraged almost that there could be someone who like just barrels through stuff, doesn't look at like maybe the pain that's underneath and keeps it moving. And then they're interpreting that as dismissive they're interpreting that as she thinks she's above everyone yeah i think the the part that feels relative to monica mainly is this dismissive energy the one that says i'm not apologize i don't need to apologize for who i am whatever impact i'm having that's yours you deal with it on your own and I I'm, I'm who I am and I choose to keep moving Mm -hmm. forward. And when I feel Monica, maybe in that place that you just identified as committed to my wound, you know, I might also say there's a part of her that needs something there, you know, that, Oh, for sure. You know, she didn't actually get. And because her mom probably was very much like that, And also in her moving forward, her mom left a big wake behind that never got addressed and then keeps telling her, let's move on. Are are you still holding on to that? Are you still without acknowledging her, the part that mom, you know, did like, I'm not, I refuse. It's almost like I can feel the place that maybe, I don't even know if this is true, but there was parts in episodes that alluded to the fact that mom invited her to therapy and then she never showed, or, you know, there's a way that mom says, I'm going to make good on this, but doesn't show up for it. Doesn't actually take Monica all the way in, but acts like the act that she, you know, offered was, should be enough for her. And it refuses Mm -hmm. to let Monica um, say, Hey, I was hurt by what happened. And I was hurt because you chose something other than me and you were never there for my pain. And so I have a demand on life to feel me in my pain and I'm not going to actually show it to you. I'm just going to make you bad over there for whatever pain you're causing me. I'm just going to, you know, call it out in a way that says this is a actual defect of yours rather than um, wow. In some ways she was able to say, like you said, in that one scene, oh, this activates a place where I, I, I have a loss. I, I lost something important to me, but I can't mm-hmm. stay in 
that pain, especially if you won't acknowledge that pain. And if you don't do it right away, also, this is the place that I think happens. It's like right away, Lisa's defending herself. Maybe that acknowledgement came later, or maybe it came in that dismissive way that says, oh yeah, yeah, I, I feel for your pain, but this is bigger. I ha- I'm in the middle of it right now. Monica sees that and goes, you're fucking not sorry. You're not sorry for anything. Don't even say that. That feels to me, if I'm Monica, so activating. If you say the words, so other people hear it, but you don't mean it. And I know you don't mean it. I know you don't mean it because I can't let it in because I don't have that muscle yet that lets me relax in there. I'm still, I'm committed to my wound. Right. And this is where Monica unconsciously sets herself up to stay in this pattern, right? Because kind of going back, if she had just stayed, for example, with, oh, this is hard for me, it's bringing stuff up for me. Well, then there's space there for Lisa to relate to her as a human being. But because she automatically leaps from this is bringing something painful up for me, I'm sort of lost in my story where no one is willing to recognize, see or hear my pain or take in their impact on me, like AKA her mother. So I'm immediately going to jump in, make this about you, tell you how you're wrong, you know, for the way that I feel like basically hold you responsible for my historical pain is essentially what she's saying. And then again, like, of course, Lisa has a reaction and especially Lisa and we'll get to Lisa, but Lisa has a reaction to that. And then suddenly it's like, to your point, yeah, a few beats later, Lisa can come around to the point of, look, I'm sorry for what you're going through, but by then it's too late because it's all for Monica. It's already through the prism of, you know, you're not seeing me, hearing me, listening to me. And she's acting out her mom stuff. Right. And so I guess what I would say for the listeners here, just in terms of learning, it's like, I, and this is what I do with clients a lot. It's like that refinement of really learning how to separate out where is this, you know, in this case, trigger for Monica, where is it taking you emotionally? And really the awareness of, oh, this, this is, this is my emotional experience. This is where it's taking me. It doesn't mean it's necessarily the other person's fault. They're just doing what they're doing. You know what I mean? Like I have to take responsibility for the, what it's triggering in me in terms of history. And in this case, that's not Lisa Barlow's problem. Like that's my experience that I need to look at result. I can bring this to Lisa in terms of like, you know, and I felt like we saw that. Well, I don't know if you watched this past season of Orange County. Uh, and actually she got a lot of grief for this, but I actually was sort of more or less okay. You didn't watch this last season of Orange County, right? No. So Gina, there's a new cast member named Jen. There was some convoluted drama where she was married and there was some sort of ambiguity or vagueness about the start of her new relationship coming out of her marriage. And initially Gina was like really triggered by her and kind of acting out towards her because of her own experience with infidelity. And people were really hard on Gina for that. And let me be clear, I'm not a Gina fan, nor am I a Gina apologist. So this is not coming from any kind of like, I'm not predisposed to love Gina by any stretch of the imagination, but I felt like Gina eventually caught herself and was basically like, this isn't actually your problem. I'm just realizing your story is triggering my own stuff 
with infidelity. And I'm bringing this to you so that we can basically be an honest relationship. And, you know, to her credit, Jen, once Gina sort of calmed down and presented it that way, Jen was like, I get it. Like, I don't have to apologize for what I did or who I am, but I hear it's taking you somewhere. So it's just, you know, these are examples of the difference between, yeah, this is bring something up in me. I'm making this your fault. You're a slut. You went, you cheated, da 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 Or like, you're out of touch. You know, you're not in touch with America, da 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 as opposed to, oh, this is taking me somewhere. Let me just bring this to you in the spirit of like honest communication and developing a relationship. Part of where this takes some people it's such a young place where mm-hmm. there's, it's almost like a, a quick slip where this is all, I'm in my history. You've become my mother. I don't know that's happening, but I am just going to grab anything that I know about you that feels like I would be saying this to my mom and I'm going to grab any examples that I can. And I'm holding you to that, but I'm not aware because when people get triggered and activated, if there's not a recognition or a capacity or an ability for the others to slow something down and go, wait a minute, I think we've lost each other. You know, like you've got me in something because Lisa's trying to shake her off. Like don't that you have me in a projection. Lisa is clearly trying to shake her off her leg and that shaking her off her leg. Monica is gripping to hold on. Yeah. yeah that's literally what I was about to speak to. So interesting, right? Cause this is where it's, it can be such a double-edged sword because part of what I actually love about Lisa is I feel like she comes from a position of we're all adults. Let's be adults. Let's treat each other as adults. Like even in the way that she'll get into conflict, but then she, you know, she really is willing to like make amends with people. She wants to move on. There is something very adult about her. And I feel like the position that she's embodying is kind of like, I am who I am. Again, I'm an adult woman. I I don't apologize for who I am. Take me or leave me. I kind of don't care. And if you're going to project a bunch of shit on me, that's not my problem. And I actually remember even as far back as season one, when she and Heather first started getting into it, they were like, they went on some like ski trip early in the season and they had their kind of first group, like huge group. (laughs) One of those scenes where they're sitting down in a ski lodge and everyone's fighting. And I remember Lisa literally saying like, basically something to the effect of you're triggered by me right now and you're not actually seeing me for who I am and you've got to sort of deal with whatever's going on inside you. You know, so she embodies that really strongly and clearly. And part of me, like I said, I really, really sort of like that about her because there's something so clear about it. Now, what I think is interesting though, and I think this is where the wrinkle comes in and I think it speaks to like the getting off my leg. I do think for Lisa, there, it, she gets act for her the trigger and the activation is when people project on her. So much like like Monica and Heather and Whitney, they're getting triggered in their mommy stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Lisa gets tri- like she has that part of her that's really sort of strong and clear in who she is in an adult. But when people do try to make her mommy or whatever it is. That activates something in her. And what I feel in her in that moment is like you're saying, she's like, get the fuck off of me. And what I feel in her is like, because she's triggered there, something in her, it's like her heart does close off and something in her really shuts down. And I do think that is where she gets dismissive. There's something in her that's like, 
you know, the way I experience is like, ugh, get away from me with it. Kind of like I'm hearing Mary, like when Mary called Whitney little girl, like get away from me, little girl. Like I'm not your mommy. Don't do this to me. I'm bored. I'm done with this. Get away from me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, we're done. And what I want to say about that is I do think there's part of my experience of Lisa and I, and I've often felt this, I think I've even named it on the podcast before. I do think she actually has tremendous love for people and sensitivity and humanity in her. And so I think, I think when she defensively shuts that down, I think people feel it. It's almost like I feel the part of Lisa that when someone comes to her, like if there's like an immature energy that's saying, you're my mommy, you're my mommy, and I'm projecting on you and I'm making you wrong. There's a hypothetical alternative route where Lisa could go, where it's like, look, I'm clear on who I am. I'm not your mom. You're bringing me something that I'm not going to answer to. And I see something's really happening for you here. And like you're in some sort of painful experience where I'm representing something that I don't think is true. But let me just, I don't know exactly what this would look like. And I also understand this is a strange context because they're kind of like, Faux friends, colleagues, whatever, whatever. But let's just go with the premise of the show that they're friends, they're on an ensemble, they're here to like work shit out. There's sort of an alternative situation. There's a hypothetical alternative where Lisa could go out and be like, I'm going to, I'm going to take in that you're in some sort of painful experience. And I'm gonna see you and hear you here on some level, even if we end up agreeing to disagree. But she doesn't do that. She shuts it down. Cause again, like I said, there's it triggers something in her. I think very deep to be the projection screen, to be unfairly labeled something that she isn't, to be used in some way by these people in a way that actually misses her good intentions and who she feels she is. And when that gets triggered, she ices you out. And I think then that keeps the cycle going because it just activates them even more. And then, like you said, they're holding onto her leg being, and they use that as ammunition be like, see, you are dismissive. You are judgmental. You do think you're better than me. And I think for Lisa, she's sitting there being like, I didn't think I was better than you until you started acting up like this. I mean, I don't know that she would consciously ever say something like this, but now I think I'm better than you because of what you're doing. You know, so they get like gridlocked in something. And I think for Lisa in terms of pattern and what she's working with, and if I were working with her, for me, there's this question about like, what is it for you? when people project onto you and kind of like write a story about you, that's not true for you because it, one, it clearly takes you somewhere. And two, you repeatedly draw it in, which for me is Jamie. I'm like, ding, ding, ding. That's the indication. There's something here for you, Lisa, historically about what this brings up in you and where this takes you. All of that, all of that. And I think to your point, it's contextual for Lisa moving forward whether or not she's invested in the relationship. If she's invested in the relationship, if it really matters to her, if it's her her sister, her partner in business, if it's, you know, if this is coming towards her in a in a relationship that she values, then then it's worthy of, hey, let's slow this down. You're putting words in my mouth. You're telling me what I'm thinking and feeling and doing and the reasons behind it. And they're not actually true. So you've got your, you've got me caught in something. So let's, let's find out more. But if she's not invested in this relationship, 
And this is part of what I think we're seeing on the show. It's when she kind of is preserving herself here to say, I know who I am. I know I'm caught in something. I don't, I have the power here to say, I'm not interested in this. I'm leaving. In that leaving, the person who's more invested in the relationship, the Whitney's, the people that the Heather's that, you know, have her up on some pedestal that they want to be in relationship, they are deeply invested in this working out. So they grab tighter, which only activates her more. And that's where I think she loses her ground. This is where I see Lisa does get captured in, in a in a place where she's not com- in complete contact with who she is. She starts behaving in a way she's, you know, she takes on what they're doing. She starts mimicking them like they're mimicking her. She starts doing these jabs. And I think it's a um, one of the things that I've been noticing in terms of the editing or, you know, I can imagine these fights go on for, you know, obviously we're getting snippets of what goes on, but I'm aware that I can feel her. I can feel her trying to create distance and space to give her ground to come back to who she is when somebody's got her captured in something. And you can feel the tightness, the, the I'm going to grab tighter. And then what we get to see is when she goes off, when she's like, this right. is the, I have to bring out my sword. This is how I'm going to cut off your little hands away from my waist and I can move forward. And I want to say that in her interviews, <laughs> After, I don't know what she gets asked, but I would love someone to support her to really make contact with who she is there because I think she says things that end up feeding this narrative that she's the one who, you know, thinks something of herself that I don't necessarily feel from her when I feel into her. Oh, you mean like when she'll say stuff, like quippy stuff, like, oh, Monica, like we're like, we just have different tastes. Mine are more expensive than yours. Yeah. Like- it's almost like, and and I feel her doing it in a way that I know what she's saying. It's like, I'm addressing what this projection is in a way, but it comes off. If you're just watching it, it just kind of, it makes her look bad. I think I, and it's kind of a bummer actually, because I think. People miss something, like you said, about her, her heart there. And it's, I, I wanted to say something. You were talking about this. Oh, yeah. It had something to do with what really activates her. And I don't know if it's true. This could be a, my own projection on her. But I know a place in me where if there is somebody needing something from me that I know I can't give them, because it's not mine to give them in the first place, but they think like, for instance, I'm not your mommy, right? I'm never going to be heal this thing that, you know, happened with you and your mom. If I keep feeling that place in me that I feel a little helpless to what it is you're expecting me to give you, it is so triggering. And I have my own version of like really cutting people off there. I know what that's like. So I really, I have a lot of empathy for her in those places where you can see her trying to like get that sound bowl scene where she's literally trying to get away 
And I don't know what, I mean, we're going to have to touch on, what's her name? Angie, like what happens for her in the middle of that whole thing? Because she is so codependent on people getting along um, that she just, she just cannot let a bone go. Well, yeah, I have a lot to say about Angie. Yeah, there's so much that just came up for me. Well, I think, well, just to, first of all, to go back to like the interview bites that you were talking about, which it's really interesting because I, I usually just kind of experience them on a more superficial level of like, you know, like the housewife, it's sort of like a housewife's trope, right? You get in the interview chair, you make witty quips. Uh, I always laugh, but I hear what you're saying and it's almost like, I think, you know, and I think we'll sort of get into this even more deeply as this goes on, but I really feel like what's underneath all this and like when you're speaking about this pattern of, you know, someone imposing a need on you that you can't basically fulfill and then them getting mad at you when you can't fulfill it. For me, I just, I feel like Lisa gets very hurt. And that's what I've really felt from her this season. Like I have, and we'll get into the sound bath scene. Um, it is so hard for me to watch that scene because I experience it so differently than most people. Like when I watch that scene, I feel Lisa so hurt. I feel her feeling so alone and on an island. I feel her feeling so betra- like wanting an ally. And so I think just this whole, oh God, I'm starting to feel it. Um, I just think this whole, I think this whole pattern of people sort of projecting on her and then holding it against her when she's basically like, look, I'm not here to be your projection screen. screen. I think it takes her to a very, very hurt uh, an almost powerless place. And I think as I'm saying that, I think that's part of probably why she, because we saw this in the sound bath scene. And I think this is speaking to your point of how, how she reacts when she's in this experience. Because what I saw in that sound bath scene, like I said, what I was feeling is she feels so hurt and alone and powerless. And what I saw, what I felt I saw was her scrambling for some semblance of control and trying to have someone on her side. And what that did was it kind of made her spin out. And so then suddenly she's engaging with Monica and she's saying things to Angie and then she's pulling Whitney aside to try to get her to see the situation. And I understand how from like, I mean, again, this is my perspective, right? So maybe I'm wrong about what's going on on a deeper level, but on a more surface level, let's say it looks like Oh, Lisa's being so self-involved. Oh, she can't stop thinking about herself because she's running around trying to like talk about the conflict that's going on. The way I experienced it was, no, she's so hurt here. And rather than knowing how to tolerate this hurt in this moment, or, I mean, she's never going to do this in front of Monica, right? Because, you know, Lisa has a lot of pride. Like she's not going to break down in front of Monica. She's not going to let Monica see how deeply she's getting to her. But I just sort of felt like if if Lisa were in her emotional truth in that moment, I just see her breaking down. You know what I mean? And really being in just a hurt place that just like basically says, stop being so mean to me. You know, like that's sort of the voice I hear in her and all of this, like sound bath aside, this whole macro pattern of like Heather's, Whitney's, Monica's coming at her, like stop being so mean to me. And I just get this feeling that's at least a big part of what she's sort of protecting herself from. And so, yeah, that's the part when she cuts other people off who are coming in hard and fast with misunderstanding her and saying, Lisa, do something for me, do something for me, do something for me. She's cutting them off, but she's also, I think, cutting herself off from that deeper vulnerability. And like you said, that's where she starts to spin 
into action, spin into fighting back, spin into like, you know, again, getting control of the the car that's out of control. And I think bringing this back to the interviews, the way that I'm suddenly experiencing those interviews is, yeah, I think she's deeply hurt by Monica. And I think in the place where she's hurt, she's also pissed. And I think, again, that act of it in the place where maybe she's not fully stepping into the vulnerability and the hurt and the heartache and the voice that says, please don't hurt me. I think where she goes to is, yeah, like that is where it becomes a little bit more like I'm done with you. I have no room for this. You're beneath me. You're just, you're, you're like worse than the, you know, the shit on my shoe and I'm going to fucking take my little digs and it's going to feel good. And I'll add, because this is so true for all of us, the place that we refuse when we cut that off, we cut off our own pain and refuse to feel it or offer it. You better believe that the minute you start showing any sort of pain, I cannot tolerate that. So I am not going to be available for that. If I can't hold, if I really can't let myself feel my own pain, I am never, ever going to be able to tolerate yours. And if someone like Monica, who is sort of attached to that narrative of being hurt, how deep that hurt is, how easy it is for her to touch that place over and over again, Lisa's looking at that as you're using that. Right. I, I, she sees through that and Monica sees through the place where, um, Lisa won't feel something and Monica is doing everything she possibly can to beat her (laughs) so that she feels Monica's pain. Yeah. It's interesting. It's like, yeah, they're, they're each other's shadow, you know, Monica, as we said, like the Heathers, the Whitney's and the Monica's, they're kind of sitting there saying, holy shit something was so missed in us. And so they they go so far in the other direction of like, we want this scene (laughs) and we're just going to wear it on our sleeves till it's seen. And then, yeah, to your point, it's like Lisa, because Lisa is dealing with her pain in the diametrically opposite way, which is just like, I'm shutting this down and I'm moving on and I'm going out and creating a bunch of success for myself and having a great life. They see that and they interpret that as, yeah, you're the mom who wouldn't see what was done. You've got to see it. You've got to see it. You've got to see it. Which then, yeah, if we're right about, you know, what we're exploring in terms of pattern triggers, you know, whatever happened for Lisa. Because again, I'm thinking in terms of pattern. I'm imagining for Lisa, there's some relationship in history around, you know, I being a projection screen, some sort of energy coming at her. Because again, when I'm aware of all of this too, like when I heard the voice stop being so mean to me, and also I'm so aware too of like, like I said, that first scene, how Monica came in so hard and fast and basically didn't create any possible space or room for Lisa to like hold her experience. And I feel like Heather and Whitney did similar things early on. And I'm thinking, I talked about this in our first episode that we ever did about Salt Lake City, which by the way, you guys, I did an Instagram post about this. I'm just saying, if you want to go back and listen to the episode we did about Heather and Lisa, I think over two years ago, we totally like explored all the like religious subtext that's coming out this season. So I feel like if you want a little kind of Easter egg treat, uh, go listen to that because I think it's really interesting. But we, t- I remember talking in that episode, I remember on that reunion when Heather and Lisa really got into it, Lisa like 
kind of went backstage to John and she kept saying, I'm being attacked for who I am. I'm being attacked for who I am. And I remember that always stood out to me, that language. And that to me just felt like history, this notion of like, I'm getting attacked for who I am. And then seeing again, how Monica goes in that sprinter van and does attack. Like there's this energy that moves towards Lisa, like that energy that says, mommy, mommy, fix me, see me, hear me. You're my projection scream. It doesn't move towards her slowly. (laughs) It moves towards her really quickly. And I have to imagine, you know, Lisa as someone who does tend, I mean, she even said, I'm a bulldog. She moves fast. She talks fast. You know, she moves fast. I think that's part of her like, okay, we're just keeping it moving. Let's going on. And I just have to imagine slash suspect slash wonder about like early experiences of things coming at her really quickly where there wasn't room or space for her to drop into a voice that was maybe wanted to say, hey, stop being so mean to me. And she learned early on, like, I got to throw the guard up and I got to fucking defend myself and I got to keep it moving. So then when that that energy comes towards her, it's yeah, it activates that that defense system going up. And again, that voice that says, I don't have room or time for this, which then, yeah, it just gets them gridlocked in their respective places of history. And they're very diametrically opposed ways of dealing with a core pain. And it makes me want to ask, because this is kind of my my deeper question for Lisa, is what is it that she needs there? Because... She tries to leave and she doesn't, you know, there's something about this last word or there's, there's, it's, I don't know what it is, but like the, the the few scenes that I've seen where I'm like, I'm with you, babe. Like, yes, do not let them project something onto you. You've, you've called it out. You've named it, but then you stay for something there. And when you stay, you get caught and then you Uh leave. So what is it about her? It feels like I want to ask her in that place where she's getting hurt and it's painful. What does she need to be able to like know who she is right there and just be able to let them have whatever it is they're stuck in and allow them to be wrong? Like, just allow them to be wrong about you. Well, it's like, this is where I almost feel the overlap between her and a Heather or a Whitney or to a lesser degree, Monica, where it's like, I think she wants something seen. Like, I think they want their pain seen. And I think what she wants, I think what she feels she needs seen is that they are in projection. Like, like that's the thing that she needs Scene. So if like they're sitting there saying, mommy, see the pain that you inflicted on me. I feel like she said, let's just say for hypothetical example, she's saying, mommy, see that you're wrong about me. See that you're in projection. See that I'm not what you say I am. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something so intolerable about another story getting written about her. That's not necessarily true. Like that, I think, is Lisa's kryptonite. And I think, and I want to say, and I've been thinking about this the whole time too, again, bringing the show into it, what I'm so aware of is like, I think Lisa has 
an uneasy relationship to that anyway. This notion of when someone else writes a story about me, that's not true. So I just want to bookmark that because it does feel to me for Lisa, again, playful exploration here, who knows if we're right, but following the energy of this, it feels to me as Lisa, there's something dangerous about that place. Like if a story stands that's not true about me, like, again, I'm coming back to I'm being attacked for who I am. That's an interesting language. I just have this feeling there's something there that feels really unsafe to her and really unsettling to her. So I want to say that. And if I'm right about that, I'm suddenly aware she's on a fucking TV show. So this is like that danger magnified because this isn't just like her and her personal life. If a story gets written about her, that's false. It is being projected to the fucking world. So if you already have a relationship to it's like being misunderstood is intolerable. It feels dangerous to me in some way. There's some price I'm going to pay. And then that's sort of put on the larger scale of a show that's being broadcast to the world. It's only going to be more magnified. And the other thing I was going to say about all this, it's been on my mind since the beginning. It's like, I'm so aware too bringing in this piece of they're on a show. So they're not quite friends, right? They're coworkers, right? And they, but they've got these personal relationships and it's because you were speaking about how you could really see if Lisa cares about the relationship. Well, then maybe she'll slow down and sort of take people in, but if she doesn't, it's not worth her time. So on one level, I could see how she might be taking in her co-stars being like, you people are nuts. I don't have much of an interest in this. I kind of want to move on, but we're at the same time, we're in this environment, right? Where we have to relate to each other. And so I'm so aware from this place of pattern, right? Of Lisa having this uneasy relationship to being misunderstood. She's trying to navigate the dynamics of this show. Mm -hmm. And so then she's sort of like, how do I say this concisely? There's something here about being misunderstood. It's like, taking a step back from it and taking it in on a meta level as a show. I'm like, okay, I get it. I get why you might not want to give a ton of time and energy to Heather and Whitney when they're being crybabies. But again, you're on this show and we're all watching you and we're watching how you behave and we're watching how you treat them. And then they also get to write their stories about your behavior. And so I'm suddenly like, there's so much room here for Lisa to be misunderstood. I mean, look, it even happened, I feel like, this season. I'm just thinking about that scene when they were at Angie's house talking about the rumors that Monica brought out. And Angie talked about how basically Heather invited her over to her house and apologized for her, her part in the whole situation. And then Lisa got really upset. And it was so interesting because what I saw in Lisa, to me, it was very clear what Lisa was saying. Lisa was saying, I'm upset because last year, you know, a whole bunch of you participated in spreading. I mean, they're ridiculous, but these ridiculous, salacious rumors about me, my fidelity, my marriage, my family. And Heather never saw fit to apologize to me. And it was so there's a lot of things I want to say here, because part of what I saw was Lisa did start getting really upset. So for me, as Jamie, just in terms of like this whole conversation we're having, I really clocked that as, oh, First of all, you are more deeply impacted by that than you're letting on. Like, I feel like you've told yourself you've moved on, but clearly from the level of feeling you're having right now, again, you shut, that's what I'm saying. I do think Lisa is sensitive and she takes things in, but I think she really shuts down at times the degree to which things are really impacting her. And again, this is what we're saying. She has that ability to just 
keep it moving. So there's this depth of unresolved feeling there that starts to come out. And then she's saying very, to me very clearly, Heather never, why, did, like, again, why are you being so mean to me? Why didn't Heather want to apologize to me? And I also want to say, if we're, again, if we're tying this all back to the patterns that we're discussing, it's interesting to me, Lisa has a big reaction in that moment because of perhaps how she's been suppressing the emotion. She has a big reaction. And so that's one of those moments where people are looking at her saying, oh, Lisa, I think Whitney says, read the room. You're making this about yourself. You're so self-involved. Again, I understand from the surface why someone might see it that way, like that they're having one conversation and then Lisa makes it about herself. The way that I, Jamie, experience it, again, is kind of like, actually, I think she's been suppressing a lot of these feelings. It's getting triggered now and it's coming out. But regardless, the main point I want to make is Lisa said something very clear, which was, I'm upset about the fact that Heather never really felt um, an impulse to apologize to me. And why is she doing that to Angie, but not giving the same benefit to me? What the women then turned it into, literally that moment, I think, Angie Kay turned it into, oh, you're jealous of my friendship with Heather? And then the women ran with that narrative all season long. And again, as a viewer, I was sitting there saying, that's actually not what she said. I mean, Angie kept bringing that up repeatedly. So I'm coming back to the point I was making earlier. There's something about this happening within the context of the show where I feel so much room for Lisa to basically be misunderstood. And it's almost like, again, from a place of pattern, if we're holding Lisa as having a some sort of historical relationship to the experience of being misunderstood and that there's something there for her to work out, how interesting is it that she ends up on the show with these cast members who are projecting onto her and writing stories about her. And then she's trying to navigate her own, I think at times very reasonable responses of like, how do I hold this for people who aren't actually my friends, but I have to deal with. And then that allows, like I said, them to run with narratives. It's just so interesting. Like she's being misunderstood on all these different levels. And I just find that fascinating. Again, not from a place of like, oh, Lisa's a victim, but from a place of if we hold this as pattern for her to work with. And I think- this is the last thing I'll say to your point. I think the invitation for Lisa and all of this is what would it mean for her to let other people be wrong about her, to let other people write their narratives for her to be misunderstood and for her to just stay with herself there and not need for anyone to know, mm-hmm. wait, you're wrong. Wait, you've got it wrong. You're wrong about me. Again, I understand how difficult that would be when you're on a fucking TV show. But again, that's also what makes this so fascinating to me for her. Yeah, no, totally. I feel like those, I don't know why I keep going back to the interviews, because I feel like if she could use those to, you said, like they get used in some way to narrate a story. Why outside of the you know, frenzy of what's going on. Can't she really know who she is? And then whatever she's being asked come from that place and not sort of double down on calling people names or, you know, doing younger versions of, yeah, it it feels like a na-na-na-na-na place. And I just, I don't know why. It just really, I keep wanting to shake her and go, you could be using these interviews as a way to really help people see you as you are, as you know yourself and not buy into whatever it is there. 
they're trying to paint you as. What I really hear you asking, I think, is what would Lisa essentially have to tolerate if she were willing just to let people's false narratives kind of come out, fall on the ground and not feel the need to stick around and correct people? What would she have to tolerate there essentially, right? It won't take legs there. There's nothing feeding it anymore. You know, if if I'm not going against you and I'm just staying true to who I am and that's all that there is chosen to like put out there, then all you have is people saying things that aren't true and then the truth. But instead we get caught up in this way of trying to prove something. I get stuck fighting like you fight, you know, like Mm. activate. Yeah. I mean, as I kind of feel into it, first comes to me as a possibility is just, I think she has to feel you know, a potential rage. I just feel this potential rage. This comes in. This like, this, like, yeah, just the voice that says, yeah, it's not fucking fair. Like, see me for who I am. I mean, I think we've already spoken to it. It's, it's the pain of not being seen, heard, and understood for who I am. And so if we're right that there is some sort of historical core experience there, um, I think there's some part of her that's bracing against it. And then if I keep following it, if she, let's just say we're right, and she follows that historical rage and she follows that historical heartbreak, like I feel a real aloneness there. You know, it's like, I'm alone here. Like, oh, th- th- like it really hits me. It's like the voice that I hear in this energy is kind of like, I love you. Like I want connection and I'm like, I'm alone. And it's not fair. Like, again, this is the projection. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything wrong. And yet now I'm alone. And it's not fair that I pay this price. Again, I pay this price for your projection. So I think, I don't know, that those feel like aspects of kind of like the core experience that she's, you know, she's pushing away. Yeah. And I, I don't know why it's like just with you right here, you know, holding that for her. It's like, that's the place where I feel she could level up in a way because that narrative, that image that she's alone is untrue. She's not. Well, I think the thing, like, let's just go with this and let's say we're on to something. You know, it also requires, if she were to feel all this, let's just say, and to trace it back into like history or early experiences, it might mean there's something she has to take in on a deeper level from her early experiences. And maybe she hasn't done that yet. And maybe she hasn't let herself. So, you know, because again, like, you know, you and I both work with people, right? Like I know in my work with people, I mean, I can't tell you the number of times where I start to feel a particular quality of energy that's at play. And, you know, people's first response is, oh, no, that, no, I, that didn't happen. Or like, like that doesn't, I don't know where that would come from. You know, and then we start to explore. And then it's like, oh, well, you know, they sort of let something slip about like whatever it is, family of origin, early experiences, you know, things that happened wherever, whenever. with pe- And it's like, you realize this is exactly what I'm talking about, you know, and, and then you kind of feel the light bulb go off. And it's like, you know, if someone hasn't let themselves really take in a certain type of experience that's happened, well, then they certainly can't let themselves know the impact. I mean, I think that's the thing. There's two things. I think there are people who know shit happened and then sort of push away the impact. But then I think, yeah, there are lots of people where they haven't even let themselves fully know yet this happened. Or they understand, obviously, something happened, but I have not clocked or registered yet that this was a big deal. Or this is something that maybe really had an impact on me on a deeper level. So, you know, again, if we're on to something here, we don't know where she's at. Because again, what we're seeing in present day life is someone who's really adept at 
you know, pushing deeper levels of sensitivity and feelings down. Again, like that scene at Angie Kay's house where suddenly she's crying about what happened last year. You know, this might be a marker that Lisa, you know, has been able to really kind of compartmentalize some stuff that she doesn't even know has impacted her in this way. Yeah, I think in the reverse direction, it's almost like if if she discovers what it is that she can tolerate, has tolerated, she doesn't have to be so invested in people getting it right. You know, like... Exactly. She will be free on a level that she wants to be, that is sort of saying, like, she's trying to be there before she feels all this other stuff. It's like, it's like the bypass situation, right? So if she can actually touch down, feel all the historic pain, potentially in an environment where she is supported to feel all that, come back to who she is, and recognize that she will never live in a world where it's fair that she will never live in a world where everybody gets it right about her. She's going to be misunderstood. She's going to be projected upon. She's going to be someone that represents to other people the haves when they have not. And until she can own that for herself and know who she is there and who she represents to other people without you know, without that recognition it's, it's like that's where she gets to be called tone deaf and it scratches something there. But if she can own, yeah, I have a lot of privilege. It's true. And I see that you are suffering over there. That is also true. And I still suffer. You know, I still suffer loss. I still like there's a way that she can really have all of who she is without having to compartmentalize. And she can let mm-hmm. people, you know, project onto her in a way that whatever they've got going on for themselves and hold a strong line that says, actually, that's not my experience over here. This is where I am. If we're looking at patterns and we're looking that this is what she's bringing back to herself again, it's like, if I were working with her, I would want to support her curiosity as to why it is she's got a room full of people that are saying something similar. You know, I think that's interesting. I think that would be an interesting place for her to ask, okay, let's just put this down for a moment, whatever my perception is. Here, I'm, this is all the projection that's coming to me. Why am I holding that screen for these people? What is it in my behavior? that is activating those things. And am I interested in changing that sort of behavior or am I okay being that person? Because that's to your point, what I would have to tolerate then if I, if that's just who I am and I'm not interested in changing that part of myself at all, then this is what I'm going to elicit. And as long as I know that, and have a certain tolerance for it, it's not going to take me to the place where now I'm doubling down and hurting people or myself when that happens. Because there's something, that's why I asked, what is it she needs there? Because she's standing in that with them. She stays for it. Right. It's kind of like there are certain housewives, for example, 
who might trigger people, but it's almost like they're much more in ownership of it. I don't know why this housewife is coming to me. She's not even on the show anymore, but you know, I'm thinking about like Real Housewives of Miami, Leah Black. Leah Black was kind of like, you know, she just like couldn't, <laughs> she couldn't be bothered. Like she was wealthy, uh, was kind of the matriarch of the group and just was sort of unflappable. You know, and very sort of unapologetic in who she was, but like, you know, had connections with other women in the cast. It wasn't like she was above all of it, but she just kind of felt like I know who I am. And yeah, it was much more that attitude of like, if you have a problem with me, it's kind of your problem. You know what I mean? If it's your problem, meaning again, she wasn't someone who just completely shut people out. But if she felt clear that it was your problem, then it was your problem, you know? And it's interesting to me too, because I, I, what's interesting to me about Lisa is I do feel a tremendous deep heart and force of love in her. And I also think she's a diva. You know what I mean? Like she's got that diva aspect to her. Like, and I don't mean that in any kind of negative way. I mean, I think it's part of what makes her fun and charming. You know, I mean, like she likes the high-end clothes. She sees things. She calls it out. Because that's the other thing that's interesting to me about her is that I do feel like she's gotten much more direct as the show has gone on. I mean, we especially saw that last night with just how she was calling out Meredith. And it's almost like there are these two parts to Lisa. Like, I feel this tremendous heart in her. And I also feel this kind of like diva in her. And I feel like they're very two strong, vital aspects in her. And it's almost like when I think of her, especially at the start of the show, it's almost like both of them can kind of get disowned because divas do have a strong point of view and divas can be a little bitchy and divas have their judgments. But when a diva owns it, 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 I mean, I'm smiling as I say this. It's like when a diva owns it, it's electrifying. It's a strong point of view. It actually can be a very heart-based energy because the diva's the one who comes in and says, you know, like, get it together. Like, I'm calling something out. I'm seeing it. Like, a diva can be a very powerful voice. But if you're someone, you know, and again, I don't, you know, I don't know a ton about Mormonism, but like, you know, especially if you've got kind of a religious overlay and who knows how you were raised. But if you're kind of saying, well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be, you know, I shouldn't be really direct. I shouldn't say that. That's mean. That's judgmental. And so then you push that down. And then you're also pushing down this sort of deep tenderness and vulnerability in your heart. That might be another reason why people are experiencing you as, oh, she thinks she's better than me. Oh, she's judgmental. Because maybe there is something people are picking up on where you do have this voice in you that's kind of like seeing stuff, hearing stuff, and kind of wants to say something really directly in kind of a playfully bitchy way, but you're not saying it. I would just sort of want to support her to say, yeah, you've got a big loving heart. You've also got a diva in you and you're free to own these different parts of yourself and to also understand not everyone's going to get it. And yeah, people will get triggered. People will be provoked. People will come to you with their projections. And I think to your point, part of like being an ownership of all of that is sort of seeing it and being like, I see it. I get it. Not my problem. And maybe even not just not my problem, but, and I see it's hard for you and I'm okay with that. Well, that's what, yeah, sorry. I'm glad you brought that in. Cause that's kind of what I meant by not my problem. Miss it. Like, that is her, that's her tone. Not my problem. Dismissive. You don't give a fuck about me if I'm on the other side. Yes. Right. And what I actually meant was the way I meant it actually though, was sort of not my problem, but like, 
<laughs> I guess, yeah, the way that it's sort of come off in the past is like, not my problem, as opposed to not my problem and to bring in what you just said. And I'll, yeah, I'll stay here. We can talk about this. Not my problem, but I get it. That's what I meant by like, I see you, I hear you, like not my problem. I'm not going to take this on. But yes, to your point, it also means I'm not going to completely like write you off or dismiss you because it threatens something in me. Right, exactly. And because I care about being in relationship with you and I care about my impact that I have, it's like, I'm going to stay for my impact. I think there's something here, you know, about what it means to also be someone who sees a lot. Because the truth is when I when I did go back and rewatch the season, I was really like, and you know, I think to your point and to really both our points, when I really listened to what Lisa was saying, I was like, oh, she she was calling shit out. I mean, she was picking up on stuff. You know what I mean? Yes, she got so triggered by Monica. And so then, yeah, we have scenes like the sound bath where she's in it. And I think it makes it hard, like her point gets lost in translation. But essentially, you know, Lisa didn't trust Monica. She was picking up on something. I mean, again, this is my perspective. She was picking up on stuff that like, you know, to quote Phaedra, the butterbilk wasn't fully clean. And she was sort of watching Monica act out and sort of do destructive things and then suddenly be writing a narrative. And I want to be clear about this. Yes, Monica's mother is clearly problematic. Clearly, that is a toxic relationship. Clearly, her mother played a huge role in who Monica is. So I want to just be clear. I am not in any way minimizing or diminishing that like Linda is clearly a piece of work and you know she's a big part of like what makes Monica Monica but having said that you know Monica kind of like coming into this cast like a bat out of hell stirring up all this trouble causing all this chaos and then suddenly kind of flipping the script to my mother's the villain and I'm kind of a victim in this. And I mean, even as a viewer, I was just watching this and I was like, it feels like, like, it feels like, yes, this relationship with their mother is real and her mother is clearly problematic. And to me, it really felt like, and you're weaponizing this, you're exploiting it. You're bringing it on camera for a reason. Like as a viewer, I didn't trust it. And I just sort of felt like Lisa was kind of the one sitting there saying, there's something about this I don't trust. So the point is, what I'm saying is, I feel like Lisa actually sees and hears a lot. And I want to say, as someone who sees and hears a lot, you do sort of take something on there. It, It can be a lonely place. It can be a place where fingers are pointed at you. I'm saying this also because I'm sure by virtue of the content of this podcast, I am sure there are a ton of listeners listening to this who are the people in their world and in their lives who are able to see things, name things, identify the bigger picture. And I want to say that is, it can really be a difficult, you know, uh, a difficult spoke on the wheel. And it does sort of ask of us, I think, in its most evolved, I hate that word, but in its most evolved version to tolerate, like sometimes being able to see here and hold space for the bigger picture means tolerating that finger that gets pointed at you. But it's it's it can be painful. It's painful sometimes. But if I were working with her, my point to her would be like, okay, from the spiritual perspective, you've drawn this pattern in in such a huge way. 
obviously, again, from my perspective, the universe is asking you to work something out here about kind of like all the questions we're asking, where does it take you to be in this high pressure situation where you are going to be misunderstood? What would it mean for you to like not need to defend yourself? Like all these questions are going to take Lisa somewhere into her history, you know, and into these core places that we're naming that I think on some level are longing to be seen and heard. You know, the the voice in her that's been wanting to say for probably years or decades, it's not fucking fair. Stop being mean to me. It's not my fault. You know, like these to me feel like potentially historical voices in her that have not been allowed to express themselves. And so, you know, again, this is my, this is the premise of my work. She's bringing in these situations that are trying to invite her into honoring these long held voices in her so she can work something out on a deeper level. And then I think for me, the spiritual perspective is that, and this is what you were saying earlier, it would free her to actually step into what we might say, you know, is the truth of who she is or who she's meant to be in this lifetime. Someone who really can be in a light, a light in this world. That's like, Hey, I know who I am. I have a tremendous amount of love in me. I also have this fun diva in me and I'm here to kind of like, you know, speak my truth for people who want it. And if you don't get it, okay, it's cool. You know? Well, maybe this was part of what she needed to learn about herself to actually really put herself out there in a grander scale or in a, on, on, on some larger stage in some way. And this has been part of her process to discover, you know, what will come at her that there's not going to be, there's nothing fair about life, (laughs) you know, like people are going to be mean to her. So as much as she gets to say all that, it's not going to change that that's going to happen. Well, I think that's the other thread that I wanted to really bring into this is like, I'm so drawn to the mean Because again, you know, what I sort of heard, the voice I heard during that sound bath was like, stop being so mean to me. Because again, I can understand from her perspective. It's like if I'm Lisa and I'm just doing my thing. And then this woman, Monica, comes at me initially and is like, you know, you're this, you're that, and you're a piece of shit, right? And then just the way that Monica was needed, like, again, my experience of that scene was just like Monica was loving it, living for it, just loved stirring it up loved provoking her i mean i think she even said at one point like oh you're so bothered by me i love it and it's like there's this meanness that sometimes comes through and so i i guess i'm just bringing it in because i'm just sort of putting myself in lisa's position of like i could understand a voice in her that would want to say but this isn't my fault <laughs> because other people are being mean to me and then i'm just defending myself right Which I think on the surface of it, there's truth to that. But to your point, people are going to be mean sometimes. You know, meanness is going to come in. Malice is going to come in, right? And it's kind of like all we can do is navigate how we respond to it. And so if my response to meanness coming in is let me deflect and try to control and spin and fight back, that's going to keep me locked in something. Whereas if there is a voice in me, that's like, this is so painful. It's so hurtful. You know, and again, I'm going back to that scene where she started practically crying at Angie K's house about those rumors that were spread. It's like, well, then at least I'm kind of taking responsibility for my side of the street of where this actually takes me. 
mm-hmm. you know, this deep place of pain and vulnerability. And I think powerlessness, because that voice, I mean, again, maybe this is my projection coming from my own experience, but that voice that wants to say, like, stop being so mean to me. It's so like, it's so vulnerable and it's so young and it's so tender. And I just know for myself, that place in me, like that, that really is the place where it feels like this is where I could get so hurt because it's so undefended and it's so unguarded, right? But then it's just like, if we're pushing that away inside of ourselves, you know, I think, again, this just sort of circles back around to the larger point of this whole conversation. That's where we'll start to make unconscious decisions that I think keep us locked in these energetic patterns, right? Yeah. And I want to say, if you can feel that hurt, you might be able to recognize the hurt that's actually on the other side of the slinger, you know, like, I think really Mm -hmm. what I see is Monica was deeply hurt her. She had a lot of mean, you know, encounters. I think she learned how to be mean. I think, you know, this mean girl that she is came from somewhere and it's her pain talking. And it's, you know, like it, in the same way you're kind of dropping into Lisa, it's like, fucking feel my pain. I'm going to keep, I'm going to come at you so that you actually know what it feels like to be me. And if I can't reach you there, there's no hope for us. Like the only way I'm actually feel like I'm going to reach you is by destroying, you know, this facade that you have that you can't be touched. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the way it feels to me. Well, and I think an important part of all of this that I just want to make sure we touch on before this ends is, you know, going back to that sound bath, I think part of so much of what I, because you brought in Angie Kay. And I think so much of what I saw in that scene, you know, per Lisa's description was kind of like behind the scenes, right? Angie is sort of, I guess, calling Lisa up and saying, that bitch, I hate her, like this, that, and the other, right? And I want to say, as Lisa, it's like, I've already felt attacked by Monica. Something in me got poked at where I feel misunderstood. And if I, Jamie, go back to what I was saying before about what Lisa might have to tolerate if she lets people misunderstand her. Like, didn't I say something about this experience of a, like, well, a feeling of aloneness, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm all on my own with this being misunderstood. So I'm Lisa, I'm sort of getting poked in these core places by this woman who's like being mean to me, misunderstanding me, projecting on me. Then I see her like going over there to Angie, causing up a whole bunch of stuff. And as Lisa, I have Angie's back. Now, I think part of that was being a loyal friend to Angie. I also have to imagine part of that also is like, yeah, Monica's done something to me. She's now doing it to you. We're a united front. I've got your back in the way that I wanted someone to have my back, right? And then it's like Angie and Monica, I guess, kind of work some bullshit out. (laughs) And I'm calling it bullshit, by the way, because, you know, I mean, again, it's always so interesting to me to look at, like, how people are responding to the show, like, online and stuff. Because, you know, there was that sort of scene they had where they got cupcakes or something, and they made up. Which a lot of people, because they sort of shared both about their experiences, which I mean, on a certain degree, yeah, it wasn't nice to hear about Angie Kay's background, like, you know, her, her upbringing for sure. But it's like Monica's apology is literally, um, I brought these rumors up on camera to be a good friend to you. And I was just really trying to have your back. I mean, this is literally what she's saying. And I'm Jamie I'm sitting there. I'm like, this is total 
bullshit. <laughs> I mean, you don't be, you don't have someone's back by purposely bringing up salacious rumors about their marriage on a globally watched show, right? So this is total bullshit. And Angie sits there being like, yeah, I get it. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm just like, Angie, you are doing this for the show. Like, you know, I mean, my experience of Angie, I mean, obviously she's not as like unhinged as Monica, but I experienced the two of them as very similar. I think they're both looking for their place in the show. I think they're both very calculated. I think Monica's calculated in a whirlwind way. I think Angie hides behind kind of like, you know, she's sort of very passive aggressive with her calculation, but I think that she's very, she's trying to position herself for the show. So here Lisa is sort of like, I've got your back in the way that I wanted someone to have my back. We're a united front. There's loyalty here. Right. And then suddenly they're in this scene and Angie is kind of like, who's been saying one thing behind the scenes, like, yes, Lisa, I get it. Like, yes, I see it. I hear it. I'm validating what you're seeing. Like we're a united front in this. So again, if what we're saying is true and Lisa has some relationship to being the one who's willing to see things, name things, and there's some sort of fear around being alone in that or the price she'll pay. And then all of a sudden Monica's starting to dig and suddenly Angie's kind of like, what? Hands up. Well, you both take digs at each other. You're both going low. I don't want to be between the two of you. When meanwhile, off camera, she's like, you know, singing a different song to Lisa. And so that was, I just wanted to bring this in because that's part of like, when I said I felt such a deep hurt in Lisa, like to me, I just experienced, it's like, oh my God, I had your back and now you're throwing me to the fucking wolves. Mm-hmm. You're throwing me to the wolves and this woman is being mean to me. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I mean, even as I'm saying it, I'm feeling it. It's just this feeling of like, I feel so alone here. I feel so lost here. And I did everything to try to be there for you and to help you. Yeah, that piece right there where you say, and I was being this, it's like, did I ask that of you? You know, like this is the place where I think Lisa uses um, her protector, her loyalty to get out what she's still holding. She put in a little compartment and she it's a little bit of fuel and all that fuel goes out in protection. But again, without some sort of directive or consent or, Hey, Angie, I saw this happen. I want to have your back. What, what would that look like here? Well, so where I go with it, Mm -hmm. similar to you, but different is I, it makes me wonder about, did Lisa also in some way betray her boundaries? Like meaning, yeah, like I get curious about her relationship to Angie. Like at that time, did you completely trust Angie? Was this someone who you were 100% on board with, who you genuinely wanted to give that loyalty to you? I want to be clear. I think at that point, I'm sure to some degree she did like Angie, right? But was it really this trusted ally, you know, or was there a common enemy? Was part of this sort of like also, you know, needing and wanting allies for the show? Because this is very universal, People all the time, I mean, and Heather's been talking about this a lot, but like people all the time let themselves maybe get closer to people, letting themselves develop close bonds with people where maybe if they really checked in with themselves, there's some part of them that's like, actually, I don't 110% trust them or there's little red flags that I'm kind of overlooking for the sake of the relationship. And so again, when I feel into that possibility for Lisa with Angie, again, I kind of come back to this place in Lisa that's like, maybe maybe there is sort of an experience, a temporary experience or a historical experience of aloneness 
that she's really kind of bypassing. And so, yeah, she, like you said, she saw Angie going through something and in a way kind of used her, you know, kind of like, let me get into bed with you. Let's be banded together on this. Again, I'm going to give you the loyalty I want back from you. Even if there's something in me kind of pinging, Angie's not going to be that friend to you. You know what I mean? And so, but she goes for it, gives it anyway. And then it's like, when push comes to shove, Angie's not delivering on a promise that, yeah, like, you know, Angie probably never even made. Exactly. It just makes me curious again about Lisa's relationship to her own inner knowing. Because like, again, if we're onto something here, it's another thing of, oh, maybe there was something I was seeing and hearing and sensing that I wasn't letting myself pay attention to. And this mm-hmm. is kind of another place where I'm I'm sort of resisting the burden of what it means to be someone who sees and hears. Because, I mean, I guess I already said this, because I don't want to tolerate something here. I don't yeah. want to be alone in this conflict with Monica. Because that's the other thing. And this is the last thing I'll say. Oh, God, I just feel like if I were working with Lisa, there has to be some relationship in her history to feeling used. Because what I'm also seeing, it's like when she gets into a conflict with Monica... It's almost like I'm just suddenly feeling the energy of all the other women being like, okay, you do it. You handle it. You guys create the conflict. You create the story. And then you've got fucking, you know, Machiavellian women like Whitney who are all too ready to throw people under the bus into like passive aggressively fan the flames. Someone like Whitney is absolutely ready to not see where Lisa is coming from for the sake of keeping this fire going. And I think the nerve that feels the most tender is the aloneness because, you know, that would be another thing that I would want Lisa to, I don't know, maybe arrive at is, yeah, there's, there's a place you're going to be alone, you know, always always. And especially if you see things and know things and um, you have a responsibility not to just be um, sort of fluid with that, but actually just hold that knowing and understanding there is an aloneness in that. You know, we keep asking what she's experienced personally, but I, every now and then I get a whiff of, or, some vibe that this is something that she's carrying, you know, Mm. potentially from some historic place also that isn't easily identified for whatever, maybe those compartments are so, you know, so far back that there's something that's hard for her to name and see on some level because of that, you know, like, Like, for instance, I know she's converted to Mormonism, right? Like her, what, did she grow up Mormon or? I don't know the exact timeline. Her mother converted them to Mormonism at some point in her childhood. Was her mother Mormon? Not originally. I know there's Judaism in her family. I don't know which side. That's a flavor I'm picking up on. If I were to pick up on a flavor when it comes to any of this, it feels related to that. It's like the fairness, the exposure, the getting, being misunderstood, like how deeply, like it's life or death. Like there's a, there's a, like such a quick need and it's so, so 
there's so much energy around it, like she's fighting for her life there. And it, it, it has that feeling that I've um, recognized with people in those sort of mm, conflicts where either you're going to be exposed, you're going to be seen for something that you're not. Um, it's, it's, it's like a danger beyond mm. what we say is just hard to tolerate. It's like, mm. well, this is actually life or death in, in maybe in her lineage. Right. So I just want to clearly name what you're saying. Yeah. You're speaking to a generational lineage piece, obviously of like genocide of Jews. And, you know, it's so interesting you say that because, you know, and I've spoken to this before. Um, like I said, I said it earlier, this notion of being misunderstood when I feel it for her, I always feel this possibility of just that it's like, it's unsafe. It's dangerous. Like, that's what it feels like in me. It's like this, like, bracing in my heart of, and that's where I feel her shutting things down. It's like, I've got to shut this down. Like, this is a danger to me. That's why, as you guys heard, like, I'm so drawn to, I'm being attacked for who I am, that word attacked, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think what you're saying makes sense because, again, I do experience Lisa as, I don't, I think she already has a sense of herself as sensitive and empathic because she even said in one season, like, I'm an empath. But to this deeper point that I think there's still levels of sensitivity that I think she shuts down. And I think this is what you were just saying. I think there are aspects of her sensitivity and her heart, by the way, and her capacity for love, I think of fellow human beings that she hasn't even begun to fully touch yet. And she doesn't have to, I want to say that she doesn't have to, if she doesn't want to, I just feel that capacity in her. And it's interesting because as I'm saying this too, I'm just suddenly feeling like there is something about being in the spotlight. There's something about embodying something in a big way and being a vessel for something on a wider platform that kind of feels here too, which would also be interesting if like what you're picking up on is right, right? It's this push pull between visibility, being exposed because it's like, there's something in me that sort of wants to be embodied in a public way. And yeah, maybe there's a karmic thing around the danger of what it means to be out there. It's interesting. I'll sort of bring in this final piece. When I've been feeling into her this season and this relationship to deeply resisting being misunderstood and how dangerous it feels and not wanting anyone to be able to write a story about her that isn't true. And I felt into that part of her that when she gets activated, it's very hard for her to sit still and listen to other people and to let them speak, right? And the way that I experienced it in my body was kind of like, as Lisa, it's like, I can't, I can't let them get the words out because if they get the, if they even get the words out by virtue of, oh God, there's so much coming to me right now. Okay. By virtue of them saying it, it somehow makes it not like it makes it true, but it somehow makes it a possible reality. And again, that's where it's like, as Lisa, it's like, that is terrifying to me. Again, it's that life or death thing of like, this could be so dangerous if the word gets out. So the reason I'm saying it, 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 I think it's just interesting in context of what you were just saying about like the story that got written, you know, about Jewish people, for example, and how sort of life or death that is. The thing that just came to me as I was saying this And I don't quite know what I'm talking about. So I'm Jewish, but I'm not observant or anything. Um, But I know there's a lot involved, though, with language, words, letters. Mm. 
I feel like that's a big part of like Hebrew and like it's baked in there. And so I'm hearing that like the word of God and like the word, the word, like the words really matter. So there's something about the words getting out mm-hmm. and the story that gets written. So that's sort of here for me too. And the last thing I'll say, what I, my understanding is from what I've gleaned is even though um, Lisa obviously is Mormon and I know that's like, that's, you know, she's very strongly identified in that way. My understanding is she's also there is a connection to the Judaism with her. It's not something that she just has disowned. Like that's something that has life for her. So it's just interesting what you're bringing in. And the last thing I'll say, and again, larger patterns, Salt Lake City as a franchise and how there has been this religious narrative in many different ways from the beginning. So it's all just really interesting. That's that's what I would want to explore with her. <laughs> her relationship to... You know, her spirituality, her culture, everything that informed the way that she looks out at the world and what she knows about, you know, her history. And if there's something back there that she's carrying forward to Mm -hmm. continue to work to heal. Well, can I say one last thing about this? I feel like we're opening up this huge can of worms, like in the final moments. But, you know, part of what I've always sensed in her, too, because I I do feel like her spiritual life, like I experience that as a very real part of her. And I've just kind of not that I've poked around too deeply into this, but I've felt this relationship at times to kind of like, again, I know she's identified as Mormon, and I don't know much about that religion. um, But I've felt a deep capacity just to like spirituality you know, and like mysticism, magic, you know, maybe something that we'd call like a, not like literally like a witch, but like something a little witchier, you know, like I just sort of feel, I've felt that the possibility of that capacity. And again, I mean, obviously, as I'm sure most people know, like Judaism has mystical roots and origins, you know, Kabbalah and all that. And um, it's all, it's all just so interesting to me, you know, all these sort of different threads and how they might weave into it the last thing i'll say and obviously we're not going to get into this but just from a place of like you know mirror images and patterns when i said mysticism uh you know it just made me think of monica again you know and just her relationship to chaos and mayhem and kind of what i brought in earlier about her being a powerful manifester uh you know and just suddenly wondering about monica's own relationship to i mean god if she could funnel the exhaustive amount of energy that she puts into manipulation and storytelling and creating fires into something actually constructive. I mean, could you imagine how powerful this woman could be? Um, She could have all the money in the world. (laughs) She could have a hundred thousand dollar ring. You know what I mean? You know, but you know, like I said, I am so drawn in this final moment that Monica really did manifest something for herself. Sounds like she did it in a very calculating, manipulative way where she didn't really care about like the bodies that got thrown sort of in her wake. But that's what I'm saying. It's like, it'd be so interesting to think about, you know, if Monica is this powerful woman who has her own relationship to mysticism and manifestation, like what that could look like inverted mm-hmm. in a more constructive way there's so much here about women too i'm just feeling it like women and power like Mm. utah women in power you know like you touched on it you know at the beginning and i know we can't really go into it but there is definitely sort of a 
uh, push-pull relationship with power. Well, and maybe we, maybe we should say that for Whitney because Whitney's another one where it's just, I mean, because first of all, we were texting about this a little bit the other night. I, yeah, I've been so aware of like, her emerging relationship to spirituality while at the same time she's seeing, I mean, this is my experience perspective, just seems so deceptive and manipulative and dishonest on the show. (laughs) And I'm so interested in that, like that dichotomy between how she's presenting spiritually, but then how she shows up on the show, what the show means to her. But then also, again, she's another one where it's like, there's something so perceptive and smart about her, but then the way she uses that kind of destructively, like she's another one where it's like, there's so much powerful energy there, but then she goes someplace with it. That just feels so dark. Although with her, it feels so much more unconscious than Monica, the darkness, but maybe this is a to be continued. Like I said, this is, the one franchise for some reason that drew me back again. And I think it has to do with the nature of really feeling the, the culture as a character and also the production, you know, because it's still new, like you said, it's in the fourth season. So there is something about the magic of an arc here. And I look forward to potentially exploring the arc you know, a little more um, at another time when we can really do a deep dive into how, how the relationship these women have with themselves, each other and the show sort of create an energy of their own. It it catalyzes a, a potential for them to really know something about themselves that they wouldn't have had they not participated. Yeah. If they choose to accept the invitation, you know, and I think that's the thing, like you talked about kind of in a way, I don't know if you use the word invitation, but the invitation for Lisa here in the show about like exploring what exposure and all this means to her, you know? And I just want to say like, that's how I view the spiritual process. And that's the work I do with people. It's this idea that like, we're constantly much in the same way that we explored how Lisa might be bringing in a familiar pattern that could really help her explore something in herself in a deeper level. And through the exploration of that pattern, help her unlock deeper truths of who she is like you know basically to step out of places that might still be a little bit more identified with like the inner child and sort of really like supporting that inner child to step into adulthood i just think that's what we're all all always doing and that's why i'm always sort of talking about using your struggles as like a doorway in i think we're such powerful we're all powerful co-creators and manifestors and i think we just are always drawing things in that reflect pattern, reflect pattern, reflect pattern. And if we can kind of like get underneath it to find out like, how is this familiar or what, yeah, what's the historical voice in me that's not yet been seen and heard? What are the parts of my inner child that I have to kind of go back and reparent? It's like everything around us present day is an opportunity to, to unlock those doors, which I think is cool. (laughs) And and if, the show is a catalyst for all of this. I have to name that the facilitation production is not benevolent in this. They have an agenda and that is so like, I can never not let that awareness go, you know, because it feels like a, a darkness that gets in there in a way that maybe 
a facilitator of, of a group where people are engaged in a process to learn, as we just said, every every moment is an opportunity to do that, that we have to be able to recognize that there are a, there's a system in place or there's a, um, a power in place that has an agenda or a narrative that they are holding and it's impacting whatever discovery is, is in the mix. It, like they're in the mix of this discovery. I just want to say like, it feels important to name it. No, I 100% agree with you. And like, that's the last thing I'll say. I just, you know, the more that I hear about production and the way they navigate this, it's it's really, uh, I, I just think, I agree with you. I think there's something incredibly dark there. I think there's such a deep disregard for the humanity of the people that are on these shows. Um, this is why I've said before, I, you know, I know she's a problematic spokesperson. I know there are mixed messages, but I agree with so much of what Bethany Frankel is saying with her reality reckoning. I just think, you know, these are people's lives and it's people's emotions and they're making a shitload of money, a fortune for the networks and the production companies. And um, just sort of like the disregard, mm-hmm. you know, for what's being used to make this money and the impact it has in them. And, you know, I think, you know, someone like Lisa, I think what's great for her is I, I do experience her as a pretty sound solid mind and footing. And I think that's part of what the, the more kind of um, for lack of a better word, sort of insecure, not insecure in terms of like, Oh, I'm insecure, but like who maybe aren't as mentally sound and solid as she is. I think that's part of what they're globbing onto. But um, you know, a lot of these women, as we've explored, it's like, they're not fully here, you know? And then it's like, the way they get used with such disregard for, you know, what might be going on with them on a human level. It's, it's, it's pretty, it's brutal. And it's why well, I've said my, my dream is that one day I could do like a, maybe we could both do it a five day workshop with a, a cast after the reunion wraps and really just support them to like mm-hmm. go where they need to go. Cause this is like, I cannot, I mean, truly, like as someone who's really had an evolving relationship with visibility and I'm not even anywhere close to actually being famous, like I, I just can't imagine, you know, being on one of these shows and just uh, the way you're scrutinized and judged and picked apart. And obviously I play my part in that, right, as a viewer, but I'm also aware of what I'm doing. And I'm also always aware of everyone's humanity, you know, even the ones I don't like on a personality level. So anyways, it's just, yeah, I think it's an important thing to name and thank you. Mm -hmm. All right, Piper. Well, so good to be back in the fray with you. Hopefully you'll be coming back for more Salt Lake City exploration and, um, Follow me on Instagram if you don't already, Jamie Stein, J-A-M-I-E-S-T-E-I-N. Check out my website, hollywoodreadings.com, if you're curious about my work. Um, as many people know, my work is in transition and it's evolving. But if you you know feel drawn to the themes and principles I'm talking about, just send me an email and just let me know that you have potential interest in learning more about whatever it is I'll be offering in the coming months. And um, as always, I'd love to hear from you guys. So don't hesitate to reach out to me with your own hits, insights, or questions, especially clarifying questions if anything we talked about wasn't clear. All right, you guys, I will see you on the flip side. Bye. Bye.